This is the Working Drummer Podcast, featuring conversations with ground-level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and this week is part two of my conversation with Craig McIntyre. Craig has had a long tenure as the drummer for the Goo Goo Dolls, and has also performed with Josh Groban, Vertical Horizon, Adina Menzel, Deanna Carter, Seal, and many others along the way. After building a very LA-centric career, Craig now lives in Portland, Oregon. We would appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links for both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. While you're there, you can learn more about this episode and check out our archive of over 300 episodes. Also, please subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Lastly, however you listen, please leave us a rating and review. This helps new listeners find us. weeks ago, Craig and I talked about his work with Goo Goo Dolls and Josh Groban, and this week we get into some more overarching concepts like reading versus listening and his post-LA life in Portland, Oregon. You don't have to listen to part one for part two to make sense, but I encourage it nonetheless. Craig is a very down-to-earth dude with great perspective on just about any aspect of a drumming career. So here we go, part two with Craig McIntyre. But again, that was like, I was thrown into the fire, you know, with that kind of stuff. But I got to be known as like this guy that can play with orchestras. And it was like, I really wasn't. I really, I, I wasn't that guy. You yeah. Know? But I mean, what an amazing challenge. And, uh, um, you know, and that's another thing that I would just, okay, I could do a gig like that. I could do a Broadway gig, no problem, as long as I have a couple weeks. Right. You know, and my reading's a lot better. And so I'm not as intimidated in those situations. But, you know, I think every musician just has their pace and it's all about how they get there. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, like knowing knowing your process, I think, is is huge. Um, 
just your your process of of preparation for for any given gig and and if you know what it is and if you know how long it takes you then you you can sort of more accurately gauge like i'm going to say yes to this gig but no to that one <laughs> because yeah. you know i don't i don't have the time to absorb this one or like like you said it's not in my you know not in my wheelhouse or whatever and i'll say this one last thing and i don't want to encourage any young drummer to to not brush up on his reading or not be a reader because I wish I had done that stuff from from birth. You know, I wish I wish I had been not so self-taught. I wish I could have done it at the same time. Mm-hmm. You know, some of my really good friends, like they read and learned, had their garage band and equally did the reading at the same time. And they just got the whole package now, you know. Yeah. But, um but what I, what I will say, what I will say is, because I went so many years without reading, my attention to detail, because I had to listen to something 20 times in a row, yeah. as opposed to somebody that can read really well, they will get lazy about how much they listen to the music. I had to. I had to have it ingrained in me. I would listen to stuff so much that I knew all the chords in it. I knew everything that was because I because I can play piano and I can play guitar. I was so inside the song. Yep. I knew the lyrics. I knew what the freaking meaning was about. Right. And all so by the time I'm getting to rehearsal or I'm getting on stage, it's like I am a I'm all engulfed in this song. Right. Um, I know exactly what you mean. Not just my part or not just what's on the page. Yeah. Like it it's it's part of my preparation now is just listening, listening, listening because once once a song is just in your bones, it like you you get to the point where you can't play it wrong. Right? right? Like your body just tells you what's coming up next. You don't have to think about it. You don't have to use some device to remember what the bridge it's like no. I know this fucking song. I cannot play it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's and interesting. You can tell. You can tell totally. the different players that how much they absorb and what what their process is. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you were talking about like reading versus listening and and I had to go the opposite way of you because I was I was reading from an early age and you know all through college I was I was just a creature of college big band. Um and as I got older like I obviously got out of college and started doing more non-jazz gigs um I, I like if if I got on a a gig with no charts like that was out of my comfort zone. That was mm. like, oh shit, where are the charts? Like what do I do? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But I had to sort of like re-engage with, you know, the uh the the kid who was playing along with records and just listening or the, you know, the college student who was doing jazz gigs, not big band gigs, but like small group bebop stuff where all you're doing is listening and reacting and whatever. So I had to apply those skills um to the music i'm playing now and you know keep myself from getting cranky that there weren't any charts (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah i mean yeah it it's it's true i mean there there was a time you know growing up in boston i mean i was in seven different bands and i probably easily had 300 songs in my head that I would never need a chart for. I just totally had remembered, but that that was the age, that was the age where, 
you know, yeah, it's like we're, we're the opposite in a way that you really had great reading skills at that at that age. I I was at the age where I had that time and that commitment to absorbing to the listening, but you know, just like your motor skills at that age and my motor skills to memorize, yeah, they go away, you know, and by the time I really started learning how to read or or make like a, a decent master rhythm chart for myself, it really came at the right time because I was starting to not memorize stuff as, as easy. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if it was a, a song from the past, a song, you know, on the radio or something like that, but just digging into newer, like newer music or, or I mean, not, not like cover band kind of stuff, but like working with a singer songwriter or something like that. Like it was, and, and life gets in the way and you get relationships and you get, you know, all this stuff. So you got a lot more going on. You got to pay bills. And so if somebody said, okay, I want you to do, do a show with me. And there's 15 songs by the time I was in my thirties, it was like, yeah, I don't really have the time and the mental capacity that I did when I was 21, where I could juggle a bunch of different gigs and just memorize everybody's song list, whether they were covers or originals. Right. I just can't do that. Like it's just, I don't, I don't think my memory's going in my, th- was going in my thirties, but my, my capacity, my time management. Yeah. Your bandwidth, my bandwidth. Exactly. And so I really had to really had to um, rely a on the reading and the listening as much. Cause no, I, now I didn't have, I couldn't listen to somebody's music 20 times in a row. I, I just, I didn't have that time to do it. Right. Um, and then especially when you're working with people, you might not even be into their music that much. Then it's really hard to listen to. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that was the other thing that that's, that's the difference too. Like I said, when I was in Boston, all the music I played, all the bands I were in were bands that I started. Mm-hmm. So I love the music. Yeah. Whether they were a cover band or an original band, I, I it was the kind of music I wanted to play or my R&B band I had forever. It was like it was all my it was all my favorite Motown and Stax and those and Philly Sound. It was all my favorite stuff. Yeah. I knew this stuff like the back of my hand. And and we played all the time, you know. So it was I knew that stuff, but once I get into the well, I got one gig at Hotel Cafe with an artist and I got to learn an hour of material of their original songs. And then on top of that, 80% of their material sounds the same. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, and the, and the tempos are all within 10 BPM. Yeah. Because it's, it's, it's an artist and an artist has a style and they should all sound the same. You know, I don't, that's not a slight slight at all, but it was harder for me to process song a from song D. Yep. Is yep. this the one that has the eighth note push? Is this the one that <laughs> has the breakdown at the bridge? Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and you know how pop songwriting has been the last 20 years, you know, it's just the same freaking four block block chord arrangements and breakdown chorus, no guitar solos. You know, yeah, it's it was, like, is, is this the one that has the push? Yes, it is. Is this the one that, <laughs> that has the bridge yeah. breakdown? Yes. They're all, yes, yeah. it is. This is the one. <laughs> so, so those, those, those tools that I needed to do that really came at the right time. Yeah. And, but uh, you know, what a, what a great friend said to me, bass player friend, who's uh, probably one of the best, bass player session guys out there but 
and uh, and we kind of grew up together. But what what he said to me was because he really helped me with the reading. And when I got to L.A., he had gone there ahead of me. We were both in Boston. And he said, man, he's like, you got the hard part down. He's like, this is just information. Hmm. And that opened my whole world right there. You know, and I'm not trying to say like he's patting me on the back, like you got the hard part down, like, but he really meant he goes, you got good time, you got good feel, you got good ears, you know, you know how to play in a band. Um, that's the hard part. Yeah. Not everybody can get that right away. Mm-hmm. You know, he's like, this is just information. There's no like top secret here. Cause I was so far removed from reading that I thought like going back to the Chinese algebra, you know, I yeah. thought, Oh my God, this is just, I don't even want to look at it. You know, notes, right. you know, yeah, yeah. it was like kind of one of those crazy things. And like that just inspired me. So from that day on, I remember like the first thing I tried to read, write a chart out for was back in black. Hmm. I said, I'm just going to pick the most eighth note quarter notey basic song. And I'm just going to chart it out because 90% of the time, I'm going to be kind of playing stuff like that. Not ne- necessarily ACDC, but it's going to have pocket, you know, it's just going to have, it's going to be in 4-4. Yeah. It's going to have a couple kicks, you know, it just, just. Guitar driven rock and roll. Yeah. And I started there. And then, of course, I didn't play that kind of stuff all the time. <laughs> but, but just, just that's where I, and then I just started, then I started transposing I don't know, like stuff that had a little more in it, like a Tower of Power thing or something like that, just or 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 just something that had like a phrase of notes, you know, right. write a basic ry- rhythm chart, but then a thing where like everybody plays da 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 da, you know, like those kind of things. Yeah, like, I'm just gonna write that in. I'm just gonna write that in on the chart. I know the rest of the song goes boom, bop, bump, boom, bump, bump, you know, or something like that. But I'm gonna write that stuff in, and that that really just opened you know, my whole world. And even the night before I moved to LA, there was this LA session guitar player that started teaching at Berkeley. So he lived in Boston, but he had been like a, a, a cat back in the day. I said, man, any advice? I'm going to move to LA. And he just goes, oh man, you just got to get those eighth note pushes. That's all you got to do. And then man. the other thing he said was, yeah, but you got to get your drum tracks done fast. And I said, why? He goes, more time for guitar overdubs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but that's such a great point because, like, you know, it, it it's kind of a joke. Like, you just got to get those eighth note pushes. But, um, you know, if there's a little detail about a song, like an eighth note push in one place, like, if you know where that's coming and you fucking nail it, you know, the the rest of what you do, there's a lot less riding on the the rest of what you do. Yes, yes. Exactly. And that's what I mean, just by charting out something as simple as back in black. Yeah. There's no pushes in there. Right. You know, yep. there's there's quite a few of them, even though it's like you think of the song as just this good got good got like that. Yep. You know? But there's bang, 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 yep. just simple things like that in the chorus. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. And like that was just that's all I needed. You know, that really got everything that opened my whole world. Right. You know, and you that. can develop your own system for charting. Like there's the Nashville yeah. system and there's, you know, right. some sort of uh, uh, standard or accepted um, ways of, of making a chart. Um, 
but you know, you can, you can use those or you can modify those or you can just like invent something else that makes sense to you. Um, my, my, uh, my grad school mentor, uh, Bobby Watson said there, there's no such thing as cheating in music. He was like, do like, do whatever you have to do to set yourself up to succeed. And he was talking about like writing things into your big band chart. Um, Mm. and I think some, some student was like, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want to have to remind myself of all this shit. And, and Bobby was like, man, there's no such thing as cheating. Like whatever you need to have in your chart to play the shit well, put it in there. And, you know, maybe you'll get to the point where you, you memorize stuff and you don't really need that anymore, but especially in the beginning, just fucking set yourself up to succeed, man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, like, like we were saying, everybody's got their own pace. It, it, it's all about how you get there. Yeah. You know, and it, the same thing goes in the recording studio. You know, it's just, it's all about how you get there. I, I've been in the studio where it's just like you're working with some people that are super quick, some people that are so slow. But at the end of the day, it's, it's worth it, you know, and, and some people are just laboring over something over and over and over and over and they're searching for something and they don't have, the 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 proper you know language to you know to say well we need to do this and these eighth notes here and uh, and you know but some people just they're just searching for something and then it's like okay it ends up being great it ends up being even more creative because they had to go through this more painstaking non-educated kind of process i mean i've worked with a lot of producers that don't know what a g chord is right but they hear sounds that I don't hear because I'm I, I'm wrapped up in the mechanics and the and the the exactness of the instrument. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, OK, well, the floor tom does this and the hi-hat does this. And they're like, yeah, I was saying to somebody the other day, it was like a producer might be like, you know what? I'm hearing like you tapping your finger like on on the screen door. That's the sound I'm hearing. Huh? Or go into the kitchen and get some utensils. That's what I'm hearing. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'm sitting there like Mr. Pro Drummer, yeah. ready to play hi-hat, you know, groove time. Yeah. They're, they're hearing something because they're thinking of a record. They're thinking of the whole thing. Yeah. So I've, you know, I worked with uh, Michael Penn before on a couple soundtracks and who I love his solo stuff, but he didn't really seem to know what, like, all the chords and and all the stuff and you would never know that by his records because they're they're brilliant but he would just ask me to do the weirdest stuff the weirdest stuff and and just we were just you know just hitting just odd metal objects and stuff like that and Mm -hmm. i'm like wow okay i'm a drummer i have lots of toys i love jim keltner (laughs) you know I, i i love jay belrose i love all these guys that do quirky stuff yeah but when i'm in a session my head's not always there. Yeah. Producer's head is probably always there. And especially one that's not so wrapped up in just getting a like a basic groove down. Yeah. They're looking, they're looking at the sonics of the whole thing. And uh and that that's huge, you know. I've made some really great records with producers that, that don't know anything about reading music or anything like that. Right. And to me that overlaps with the, the conversation we were having about like reading versus listening. Right. Like I, I was, I was somebody who had to sort of like wean myself off of having a chart in front of me. Um, and you know, be able to figure out how to play a song just with my ears, uh, and, and not my eyes. 
but it, you, if you can, whether it's a producer or an artist, I think, you know, artists, singer songwriters like talk this way sometimes too. They're not, they're not, um, trained drummers and they're not going to put things in those, you know, trained musician drummer terms. But if you can figure out a way to like, a be open to, to what they're asking you for and how they're asking it and, and B, um, just sort of like be more creative and be more vulnerable in terms of how you try to meet those requests. It's like, let me, you know, let me stretch myself. Let me use my imagination here and, and come up with a creative response to what they're asking. Um, it's a hard thing to do, man. (laughs) Yeah. Because I like, you're, you're probably the same way. Like it, it's, it's, you get a sense of relief when you're given like specific marching orders, like, play this thing in this place. Fucking A, I can do that. Let's go. <laughs> you know. But but when the request is so much more esoteric and the the uh you know the result that you come up with is probably going to be more esoteric. That's a more uncomfortable kind of vulnerable process to go through. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. last thing I wanted to ask you about was living in Portland. So like you, you fucked off out of LA at some point. Yeah. About, um, six years ago. Why? Um, um well, because I, 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 sorry to interrupt you, but like you, you have yeah, this yeah. long LA resume, the, you know, yeah, yeah. the gig you're still in is very LA based, right. but at some point you were like, I don't want to live here anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, a lot i would say i would say what um i definitely uh would say my wife mm-hmm. was the one who influenced the move yeah those people um, can be can be influencing yeah, yeah, <laughs> um i didn't you know we've been together over 12 years now and so she had already been living in la and uh i had been living there a long time too when we met but um, my, my wife is from Jakarta, Indonesia. Oh, wow. And then she went to school in San Francisco, and then she moved to L.A. And I think she was longing for a place that wasn't those cities. Yeah. And, you know, Jakarta is like 10 L.A.s. Right. Oh, so, my um, God. You know, she always lived in really busy, traffic, smoggy cities. Um, and so she would talk about someday getting out of LA and then she knew some people that moved up to Portland. And so about once a year, we would go up there and visit and, um, and say, yeah, I kind of dig it up here and stuff like that. And, and you know, we were just talking about, but I never thought about moving. And then we thought about, let's maybe invest in like an Airbnb property, so we can come up and visit, mm-hmm. but not, you know, still be in LA. Cause it, it felt crazy for me to mm-hmm. leave LA. And, um, 
so it got to a point where um she was really getting fed up with la and uh which you'd never know it because she had tons of friends there and you know always a very positive person but she seemed to get really sick of it and and i think because i started touring again so much that i didn't really need la i didn't need to like get off the plane and hustle yeah all the gigs i used to do as much and uh i still would because it's hard to say no in la yeah but i was doing okay with the band and they were taking care of me when i was off the road so um and then the two main guys the the hollow notes guys in the goo goo dolls they had <laughs> they 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 had kids and um they moved back to new york where they're from oh wow so once they left and then they said yeah we want to keep you on this gig for whatever and it was all cool and everything once they left uh and then the guitar player he sold his house in van nuys went to palm springs hmm. which is too far but still out of la so there's only one guy left in la and then it was me um that's when my wife and i started talking about could we live outside of la um and you could still have your l like you were saying your la type gig mm -hmm. I said, well, I guess so, because now the leaders of the band, the principal guys in the band, they have to fly around the country for us to just do a rehearsal in North Hollywood. Right. Where before, when we were all in L.A., you don't want to leave because you don't want to be the one guy they need to fly in when there's 100 guys in L.A. that could do my job. You right. Know? <laughs> so you, you, you want to be accessible in that way. And all my other gigs before the Goo Goo Dolls were very much like that. It was very LA based, the whole band, the artist, everything was in LA. Yep. So I knew there was no, not going to be any special treatment for me if I lived somewhere else. Um, but this seemed to kind of go in that different direction. Um, and they really encouraged it. Hmm. The guys in the band were like, cause they had done their LA years and they were, and even though they they were a band and they're artists, they didn't they they weren't in the hustle that you and I would be in, but they they were sick of it. Yeah. You know, they, they were tired of it. They didn't want to raise their kids there. You know, they 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 both had kids late in life, so they had done their fifteen years or whatever of L.A. And then even before that, they've been going there so much to record, and um, so they were like, yeah, yeah, you should get out of here. you should get out of there. And Portland's a cool place, and you know, it's like. You should really go there and so um not that i was really asking them permission but you know it's just they 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 were just like that's a cool idea yeah know? yeah so and then as la properties go the the properties were just jacking up yeah. so we we had a house and we this house the house we had in culver city i mean i mean our realtor came over and said you could get this for your house it's like we've only been here four or something years really you know yeah so we knew we could we could get we could get some capital from that and help us get set up in in portland and and i knew my expenses were just going to go down naturally so i wasn't because it was it was very scary to leave la you know very yeah. like and being established and having a good community there and stuff like that yeah but it just seemed like i was just getting to know more people you know outside of my band just other musicians that were kind of like living somewhere else, but not really saying anything or mm -hmm. people were even moving 
further out, like Ventura, Ojai, and Santa Barbara, or up, you know, or or they were moving to Vegas, yeah. Or people moved to Phoenix, but still tried to be LA based. Yep. So, and then just in general, the world is just getting more remote. And yep. then with my with my wife's career, she was able to work from home. So, all it was just kind of starting to check more boxes and uh and yeah if it wasn't for my wife i probably wouldn't have left mm-hmm. but now i'm really really happy that she pushed us in this direction yeah um it it just it it's been amazing it's just the lifestyle not sitting in my car for 2 hours yep um my wife i mean my wife has really built this amazing community with her business up here I got tons of friends. A really close friend of mine, Jose, owns Revival Music up here. I was there like two weeks ago. I was in Portland on tour two weeks oh, ago. Okay. And, and you know, I've been texting with Matt Starr. By the way, thanks to Matt for hooking us up. That's Sarah McLaughlin, Matt Starr, not Ace Freely, Matt Starr. I'm sure he'd, I'm sure <laughs> he'd <different>. want me. <laughs> but, yeah, thanks thanks to Matt for hooking us up. But, like, I, for some reason I had it in my head. I knew you didn't live in L.A., but for some reason I thought you lived, like, up in the mountains, like in Ojai or something. Um, and, you know, we, we, we could have. Which is funny you say that. It's funny you say that. Before we moved to Portland, my wife had a, a job in Ventura. Okay. And we had been looking at property in Ojai. Okay. Because we had the Ojai is expensive, but we did have the Culver City house. So we're like, well, maybe we could afford Ojai with the value of this house. Maybe Matt mentioned that, and that's why I had that yeah, in my we head. Were, we were, yeah, we were going to um, – that's funny you mentioned that, yeah. Um, but anyway um, – So we, we could have done this in person like two weeks ago if I <laughs> if, if I <laughs> well, had my head yeah, screwed yeah, I mean, straight. I mean, Ho- Jose, who owns Revival, I've known him for 20 – five years now or something like that. I mean, yeah. we, we go way back to LA days. And, I met um, him for the first time when I was there and saw revival for the first time. And, and man, what a, what a place and, and what a dude he is just a gem, yeah. absolute gem. Yeah. I wish I knew I, I, I might've been gone anyways. I've been back and forth to Phoenix visiting mm. family, but, um, but yeah, I'm, I, when musicians roll through town, I usually get a call. Yeah. You know, uh, Blair Center was just up here. He's like, yeah, let's go to Revival. I go pick him up at his hotel. And it, it's like a destination. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. But yeah, they're like some of my best buddies. And So it, it definitely seems like a, a quality of life move that you made. Um, Very much. And so in, in the time that you've been there, um, to, to what extent have you kind of matriculated into the, the local Portland scene? very very little um like i've trickled in but um but not aggressively mm-hmm. i guess that's maybe that's the definition of trickle but, <laughs> um, but um only because there's a lot of killer musicians here mm-hmm. but not all of them go out on the road and stuff like that yeah. so i I'm very careful, like, you know, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts, and then I I moved to Boston from there, which is only a half an hour up the road. But I know that kind of territorial vibe from growing up. Mm-hmm. Where, you know, you got the one guy that goes on tour, and then he comes home and he tries to do all the gigs. Yeah. And and I'm not saying I, I, I was good enough or, or I'm, I'm the, you know, I would be some hotshot player up here or something like that by any means. But I didn't want to 
work in the the mercenary that that I have or or the 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 go-getter thing that I have the way I would have somewhere else. Yeah. Like in LA, you can be a go-getter and people know you're going to sub out your gig. <laughs> they just know yeah. they just they just know that it might be temporary or something like that. There's there's more forgiveness for the in and out. You might be in a project in LA and you're like, hey man, I got a gig with so-and-so. And they're like, cool, man. That's all about being a professional musician. Right. I mean, you kind of have to be a go-getter all the fucking time in LA if if you you're, have to, you if have you're to gonna really do it. <laughs> and and so there's there's a couple, yeah. So yeah, you're bringing up like there's a couple things like I part of me didn't want to be that guy mm-hmm. for the reason of I don't want to promise somebody to do their gig and then I'm the guy that subs it out because my band has something come up. Right. Which is a great problem to have. But I didn't want to put that problem on them. Sure. You know, I didn't want to be, well, you know, I didn't want to be that like attitude like it ain't a problem till it's a problem. Yeah. You know, we want, want to have that attitude. At the same time, what this made me realize moving up here. Uh, because of course it was like, cause I love to play. I'll play the opening of an envelope. You know, it's like, I want to play all the time. <laughs> yeah. But I, I realized when I come up here, when I didn't know anybody, what, what that I reflected back on, uh, the whore like nature that I might've had in LA <laughs> where I was just playing. I couldn't say no yeah. because it's just like, you're doomed if you say no. And I realized all the shitty gigs that like I shouldn't have kind of I maybe should have walked away from a little bit. Yeah. You know, but I always had this mentality like gotta gotta do it. I'd come off a long tour, have have enough money in the bank to float for a few weeks, but I'd be like back doing like some of the weirdest, shittiest <laughs> gigs because oh, I've been gone for three weeks. People are gonna forget about who I am. Yeah. And and all this stuff that stays with you since your those hustle days you had from being a kid. So moving up here was kind of like taking a deep breath and saying, "Wow, like I I couldn't even find gigs to turn down here because mm-hmm. nobody knows who I am." Mm-hmm. And there was some there was a little bit of relief in that, a little bit of relief with that. Yeah. To come- because, like I said, I reflected back on the the gigs in L.A. that maybe I should have walked away from. Maybe I didn't have to make every single little hundred dollar gig. You know, maybe I should have been spending more time with my wife. Maybe I should have been uh, trying to get in, go over and do like a project or get into a scene that maybe is more my thing musically or something like yeah. that. So going back to all that L.A. stuff we were talking about an hour ago, you know, so all that energy. So. I slowly just kind of started um, meeting a few people up here. And uh, I met this killer drummer up here, this guy, Brian Foxworth, Hmm. who is more, definitely plays more busy, a little more gospel chopsy and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But he's, and um, he's kind of like a, a, a guy up here, you know, and he's done a few national gigs and stuff like that, but he, he really took a liking to me. So, he's he subs out gigs all the time and they're like with just kind of rootsy funky bluesy new orleansy kind of players and uh and even though we're we're very different players but he just we found a nice connection and uh so when i'm home he'll always call me for stuff but he knows i go out he knows i'm busy but um 
so I've just, and then I have a producer friend up here that, um, that was in LA for years too. And he's a killer keyboard player and he's always working with singer songwriters. So I purposely built, uh, a studio in my basement mainly a lot for his projects mm -hmm. so um um so that kind of keeps things going so yeah like, i've done some records for him and then one of the artists like just did a video for one of her you know she wanted me to be in the video and so there's like little things but i'm i'm being i'm being really like not being like careful or anything like that like i'm not or precious yeah um, it sounds but, like you're being deferential to yeah. the scene and to the you know the the guys and gals who have been established there for a long time and the the people for whom the local scene or the regional scene is like their bread and butter their lifeblood like yeah. you've got your gig you've got your bread and butter right, and right. and so you don't feel the need to like fucking take this scene by storm and, right, right, <laughs> and right, get right. all the gigs, and that's a that's a really healthy place to be. But I don't know that every every one would um, have the sort of uh, uh, sensitivity to not push themselves on a scene so hard. Yeah, it it it's um it. I wondered about that when I moved up here, but it's just, it, it, it's it been a relief. It's been a relief to not be there. Like I said, I have my gig and, you know, and like, if my gig goes away, what the fuck am I going to do kind of thing? You know, there's right. all those, those worries and stuff like that. But I, yeah, I don't want to, it's just nice to kind of sit back. I, I have a similar story really quick. Like when I got that Groban gig in 2003 and like, there was an itinerary for about a year's worth of work and I'm on a tour bus. First one I had ever been on, you know, I've been in many vans and all this stuff, <laughs> but I'm on a tour bus. I have, I'm paying, I'm paying my credit cards that I've racked up in the nineties off. You know, I'm like, every, <laughs> like getting in a good, getting in a good place, you know? And, um, and I said to myself, and it was maybe like a, a two month tour and I had other work after that. And I said, you know what? I'm going to like not answer the phone for a mm -hmm. little while. Mm -hmm. I'm going to drink this in. I'm going to enjoy this because I've been hustling my ass off my whole life. And I've been saying yes to everything <laughs> all that, all that time. And so I think once in a while in our lives, we have to have those moments and that we have to put the fear away and 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 know that like don't worry the you know i mean you can't ignore stuff but the phone will ring again stuff will come up you know if you if you're a good person you have a good community of people it, it it's all going to come back and uh and but we just live in this constant perpetual you know like I got to be on social media. People are going to think I'm dead or right. stuff like that. And it's like, you'll, the energy we put into that, that relevance is, is just crazy. So once in a while, and I, and I, I still, you know, and, and that Groban thing on the tour of us, I still picked up the phone. Mm -hmm. You know, I just said no to some of the gigs, right. but I didn't ignore anybody. But my attitude was, man, I just want to like shut off. Mm-hmm. You know, but I was still enough of a, a a good dude or just enough of a mercenary to like say, 
hey man, oh no, I'm sorry, I'm busy, I can't do that. Yeah, you know, I was still responsive. Right, <laughs> right, <know>? right. <laughs> but, but there was there was a second where I just wanted to check out because, but then that wouldn't that would be unfair to the people that were calling me because right. they don't know psychosis that I'm going through. <laughs> but I just want to I just wanted to like you know free myself of that because it's like you've been working your ass off your whole life to have like make good money be on a tour you know and and move up a notch you know yeah so, yeah so this is a moving up here is is a was a different kind of thing mm -hmm. um, in a way but um yeah just like okay it's not not many times in my life i have a gig that's consistent uh that i might not have to hustle for a few years I mean, it's like, I, I just, I have to enjoy that and also build my personal life and keep that going. Yeah. Yeah. And actually like, we don't have kids. So it's like, my wife's like, why can't we take more trips? It's like, we don't have a, and it's like, uh, I don't know. Cause I'm always a musician that needs to, you know, be yeah. <laughs> thinking what's around the corner and all that stuff. And it's like, I really, really just, you know, have to slow the hell down. It's a common thing, I think, for um, uh, your career, your your music career, to kind of hold your personal life hostage, especially in a town like L.A. <laughs> or Nashville, where you're just you're constantly in like fight or flight mode about just like gig, 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 hustle, 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 and you know the people that care about you are like, bro, can we can we be a, can we be a, be a person for a week and like you know, um, but there's so many similarities to to my life in in what you're talking about. Um, because like I you know I've been in this touring gig for about four months now, and um, I you know we live in Atlanta. We're you know we're not moving, um, but mm. I'm I'm sort of um, in the process of uh, I, I'm just thinking about how um, I'm going to be part of the Atlanta scene in mm. the future. Like while I'm on the road or after I'm on the road. Um, and you know this this gig has me out a lot. It's like it's it's very much out. So I I kind of feel like I'm like I'm not going to be part of this scene really for a while. And because it wasn't through Atlanta. No, it was it was through an Atlanta friend. Um, but okay. it's it's a it's a New York based uh you know Broadway Broadway tour. Um, so uh, yeah, like I'm I'm just sort of wondering out loud. Um when I stop doing this tour or, you know, when I stop doing this kind of work, like how am I going to relate to Atlanta again? What's the scene going to look like? It's probably going to look pretty different from, uh, you know, cause like the, the timing is weird. Like, you know, COVID happened and, and coming out of COVID, I got this gig. So my perception mm. of the Atlanta scene is basically from 2019. 
<laughs> you know? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I love what, what you're talking about, about just kind of like, you know, not feeling like you have to take everything over and being a little bit deferential to the people who are doing it day in, day out, week in, week out. Cause I was one of those people until, until COVID hit. Um, and now right. like, now like you, I, you know, I live here, I'm, I'm part of the thing. I have friends here, but my gig is not here. My gig is not part of this scene. Um, so yeah, just interesting to think about like how, how that's going to go. Well, I think, I think we're in the same boat where, um, and has there all, and I'll ask this, like, has there always, you think, been musicians that their scene was not so much based on a geographical thing, but it was based, especially touring musicians. Was it just based on, like, I don't know, being international, mm -hmm. just having an attitude of like, well, I go home here, but, you know, if you need me, we go on tour and right. we fly. And that could be for you. That could be your, um, your way of being in Atlanta, mm -hmm. which is very strange because you might be like, well, do I want to be part of the scene? Do I want to do, is there a scene? You know, it's like all these kind of questions that you ask. Yeah. And, or do I cult, you know, do I still have, your pocket of friends from LA, your, your pocket of friends from doing this musical, some bros in Atlanta, some yeah. people in Nashville. Like, is that, I wonder if there's, because I have toured with musicians that never lived in hubs, mm -hmm. but they were always on tours. They lived in, you know, Minneapolis or something like that. You right. know? And so was their whole attitude like, well, I guess, you know, if, if I do a tour, I'll just fly to LA to rehearse or New York or, whatever so maybe that's kind of my mentality now mm -hmm. um and when i left la i knew i wasn't 100 percent leaving i knew i was a short plane ride away i knew that all my band's gear is still there you know um we still have done a lot of records there um i mean i think even the principal guys in my band they're ear doctors and they're you know, are still like LA based, you know? Yeah. So I knew that was going to happen. So that being said, I said, well, at my age, I've built up this huge community of people in LA. And mm -hmm. even some of my Boston friends moved to LA community I had there. So these are going to be the people that might get me on my next gig or right. something like more than just being in LA and hitting the bars every night. I don't know. That might be an age thing. It might be a post COVID thing, but I don't really see that being beneficial to me. I, I, you know, I stopped going to Barry Squire auditions and pretending I was 29 <laughs> at, at probably when I was 38, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. It's just like, I, I don't, I don't want the Demi Lovato gig. Right. You know what I mean? Like, like it, it doesn't matter if, if you don't care about how old I look or it's just like, I don't want to do that anyway. I, that that's not the world I want to be in. And I had to start paying attention to friends of mine that were the kind of gigs they were doing, you know, people in their forties going into their fifties. These are the people that are in my community. So 
And, you know, like you mentioned, people like Jason Sutter and stuff like that is a dear friend of mine. It's like you you just kind of look at the way these guys are operating and, you know, they're part of my community. And I'm not I'm not relying on them, I'm not depending on them. But these are the people that I'm going to keep my relationships with because they are genuine friends to begin with. Right. And because we're all kind of in the same boat, like they're all on some classic rock tours and stuff that's going to come to an end in the next 10 years. Yeah. What are they going to do next? So my buddy that plays keyboards, you know, with this big artist over here, we're the same age. What's he going to do in five years? You know, we're, we're all kind of part of this community. I don't think if it, I don't think it matters if I live in Burbank or not. Right. It's not a geographical community. Not, it just isn't the same way. Yeah. It, and, and yeah. there, there's, there's so much about a geographical community that is essential to your music career in terms of community, like whether it's Portland or Atlanta or Kansas city where I lived or, or LA, like, um, you know, everybody like being in the same place as part of the same scene is, is a huge deal, but it's, it's, it's not the only way that you can have community. And I think the older you get and the more places you live, um, maybe the, the, the less weight, uh, the geographical community carries. Like for you, the fact that you live in Portland, does not make or break your career at all. Um, and if you like, if you some yeah. if you somehow lost your Google Google Dolls gig tomorrow, you've already created relationships in Portland without taking the city over, without like stomping on everybody's shit. Like you already right. have some relationships there that you could then turn to and say, "Hey, I'm more free now. Let's you know, let's do more." Yeah. And it's and it's been very or. You know, going back to what I said, it's been very organic and yeah. I haven't been shoving down the door. Hey, check me out. You know, Jose told me a story. I won't mention the drummer, but he was in a he was in a somewhat famous band. And then he moved to Portland and he just thought he was just going to rule the city. Mm. And just like people were going to be throwing money at him. And the guy just like back doing nothing where he came from, like in Sacramento or something, mm. you know, but just because he had this band affiliation nobody gives a shit right you know it, it's not about what you did yesterday it's about what you're showing up to do today yeah so i i know that too i i know from playing with a handful of big artists over the years that like i'm still the one that has to do the work the phone's not going to ring off the hook just because i'm adjacent to playing with some rock star people or something like that i still have to be the one to call modern drummer to get an article right you know? right like nobody's banging down your door right? to, to get that next gig yeah your resume speaks for itself you know but it's more about what's inside that resume the friends you met you know yeah I have close and it, sorry go ahead i have close friends that i met at auditions that none of us got the gig right right but we hung out there for hours <laughs> at SIR center staging, like trying to get some pop gig or something like that. And it's like, I have like friends today. I was like, Oh my God. Like, and they're not just drummers, you know, it's like, we had a really good time hanging out at this audition that we didn't get the gig. Right. That's the beautiful stuff. I love that kind of community. Um, and, and with and, a scene like Portland, I think especially with a, um, like a second or third tier city like that, a, a smaller scene in relation to LA or Nashville or New York, you know, doing doing it wrong looks like the guy you described. Like, I have this resume, I have this gig, I'm part yep. of this thing, and I expect you, Portland scene, to give a shit about it. Whereas right. the, the Portland scene was like, no, 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 
you have to give a shit about us. Like exactly. you have to learn exactly. what we're about here. Um, exactly. Cause we're not about whatever fucking gig it is you're doing. Like we have our own thing here. Do you want to be a part of that or no? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And there's stuff that there is scenes up here that I'm kind of like, you know, I mean, I, there is some like people I've gone to see him play and I'm kind of like, yeah, I kind of did that back in Boston. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Cause I'm not really interested in doing that, you know, or, you know, playing like just another band playing sissy strut incorrectly, <laughs> um, you know, like, I don't know. It's just like, you know, so, some of that's just like, it gets old. And then, but there's also a part of me that says, well, if I just went and did that one night, I don't, I don't, I'm okay with it too. Uh-huh. You know what I mean? There's that side is, is that differentiating thing. You know, it's like uh, being indifferent to stuff. It's like, yeah, it's not really where I want to invest my time. But like somebody calls me and to do something like that, it's like, I just have fun with it. Right. I, you know, but when I used to do stuff like that, say in my twenties and, and I would have, Oh, I hate that guy. He plays it wrong. Or I'd be yelling at the sax player because he took for granted that he didn't know that there was a key change in the middle of respect. Right. You know what I mean? Like I would just take all this stuff really personally and, you know, because I think like, when you're, when you're that age, you, you view every gig as the possible next thing. Right. Like you want yeah, to, you, you want to believe. Be yes. Yeah. 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 You want it to be the best. So now it's like, I mean, I refused. I'm going on a tangent, but like I refused be doing weddings. I didn't do my first wedding until I was like 27 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like and I've been playing for years. I've been playing in bars for years and I had bands since I was like 14, but I thought that was selling out. Mm-hmm. Like there's no way. And then, then, a drummer friend of mine, you know, who's a bit older and I looked up to, he said, he's like, dude, like, like if you're a professional musician, you're going to play weddings and you're going to teach. I'm like, Oh, cause I thought a professional musician was Larry Mullen. Yeah. And then he goes, no, Larry Mullen won the lottery. Yeah. Yeah. He's not a professional musician. A professional musician navigates runs around does plays different kind of gigs does some teaching that's the whole thing and that just opened my whole world and then he also pointed out he goes you better do this shit now because if you get lucky like and you turn into larry mullen and then say you're larry mullen and you turn 50 and your wife takes all your money (laughs) larry mullen can't go out and play a bossa nova yeah you know, he can't go out and play jazz tunes. He can't play with brushes. He can't do all this stuff. He doesn't have all those tools, you know, and granted, that's never going to happen to him. But that was that was a real eye-opening thing. Like, don't put all your eggs in this basket. Don't, don't try, try to be just the one rock star guy and be in your three musketeers attitude. Yeah. This is my band. If you don't like my band, get the hell away. You know, and I don't want to do this and this and this, you know, once, once I put that tuxedo on, I'd never picked up brushes in my life. <laughs> and all of a sudden I'm making two or 300 bucks a night on somebody else's dime, learning how to play jazz. Yeah. Yeah. What a it, great. What, what an amazing world. It, it reminds me of something else. Bobby Watson said when I was in grad school, which was, you know, as as a professional musician, your your music, your talent, your skill set, he said, music is your offense and your defense. 
And <laughs> sometimes, you know, sometimes you get to use it to really go after some shit and fulfill yourself and whatever. And sometimes it's like, sometimes it's your sword and sometimes it's your shield. Sometimes you have to use music to just fucking survive. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, man, we've gone we've gone way over. Uh, uh, <laughs> this this might be two episodes. I don't know. Two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> nah, it's been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah, great talking to you, man. Uh, best Me too. best of luck on your on your travels with the dolls and and whoever else. And I'm sorry I missed you in Portland. We'll <laughs> we'll Where try you again. Where are you off to next? Um, Memphis is the next one. I, I've got about two weeks home here in Atlanta. Um, and then, uh, we start another run that's, I guess about uh, 10, 10 or 12 weeks and, uh, Memphis is first up. I can't remember. I guess we're doing the Southeast a little bit like Memphis, Greensboro, and then Nashville. Um, and then I'll look at the schedule. Yeah. Cause maybe we'll cross paths. Yeah. That would be well, awesome. I'm going I'll send out it. pretty hard this year. So I'm sure. Cool. Maybe you'll be in that city. Um, I'd love to see it. Yeah. yeah I would love for you to come, man. Um, we were yeah. seeing, we were seeing ads for it yep. on just on either netflix or tv you know they, they always queue up to your local stuff right we were seeing that and we we're like wow that looks really good yeah I mean, it's it's a I mean, great that's show. my that music's you know that's my favorite music in the world you know yeah i lucked out with this show because i you know I, i've done a ton of musicals and and in general i really love doing them um but the the music on this one is just you know i i won the fucking lottery getting to play this music yeah. every night yeah. 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 I'll yeah. send you the schedule and, and hopefully uh, we can we can cross paths somewhere. Yeah. I would love to see it. Love to hear you play. Yeah. Definitely. Right on. Great talking with you, man. Be well. All right, man. Be good. There you go. Craig McIntyre. Thanks to him for that talk. Great getting to know him a bit. Next week, Matt Krause will be talking with Daru Jones. Usually this is where I say a few words sort of explaining who the next guest is, what they're about, why you want to listen, but I don't think that's necessary here. It's fucking Daro Jones. Hope you check that out. Until then, stay safe, stay sane, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.